It's flat out RC time. Welcome back to the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis and drones. My name's Andrew Sill coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. Do you know I say that every episode now? Anyway, speaking of episodes, congratulations to Flat Out RC Podcast. This is the 100th episode. 100. Who would have thought? Bit of a goal of mine. I'll talk a bit more about it, bit more about it later. But uh, good episode. Uh, special guest. It, it's a return guest. This is his third time back. He's been a bit of a fan favourite, so I thought I'll get him on for the 100th episode. And that is Fraser Briggs. He's joining us once again with more tales from his life in aero modelling. So stay tuned for a lot of laughs. Go and grab a drink, as Fraser always does before I have a chat with him, and sit down and enjoy this podcast. But before we get on to Fraser, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. Well, what has been on my mind this week? Well, the 100th episode has really been on my mind. Uh, the 100th episode is, is quite an important one for me because I, I like to set myself little goals. And my goal was to get to 100 episodes doing weekly podcasts. Uh, I always take January off. So it, it's taken me, what, two years to get to this point. But um, yeah, take the Januaries out because I always take a break. Um, you know, it's our summer holidays here in Australia if you're listening abroad. So that's a good time for me just to rest and recharge and. Uh, not have the pressure of trying to get another podcast episode out. And you know what's funny, though? Uh, the last January, we had a lot of people listening to the podcast, even when I didn't have any episodes. I suppose having so many episodes up there, now people can go back and listen to older ones if 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 I skip a beat or something like that. So, um, yeah, really chuffed to get to 100, giving myself a pat on the back and a good on you, mate, for uh, getting to 100 episodes. There's no cakes or any celebrations or anything like that. I'm just happy that I got to 100 episodes doing this uh, this podcast. And it's the podcast sort of started because I was looking for – I stopped producing a magazine. For those that don't know that I, I produced a magazine, the Flat Out RC magazine here in Australia. And I did that for two and a half years, produced 10 uh, – not episodes, 10, 10 editions of the magazine – and uh, and it was really good. Uh, like the magazine was was a good thing to do, but it was really really time consuming. And the industry support was really lacking. I, I didn't get a lot of support, you know, financially from advertising and things like that. Just people just had tightened the purse strings, and um, so I pulled the pin on it. And I thought, you know, we'll see how it goes. Give it a give it a crack. But if there's no long term future for it, I'll pull the pin uh, and. It's very, very hard to make money out of a print-based magazine in Australia. Uh, not that I was trying to make a lot of money. I run a marketing business that that keeps me fed. Anything else on top was a bit of cream, but the magazine took up a lot of my time and I did uh, 99% of it outside of work hours. So I was writing articles most evenings whilst all of you were watching television. I was... Had to go to events, take photos, do product reviews, all that kind of stuff. And so um, it, was, it was very time-consuming. After th- that finished, uh, probably two or three months later, I decided to start doing a podcast. And the the idea of the podcast was always to share people's story in aero modeling. I'm always trying to take a different slant on the content that I produce, uh, whether it be on YouTube, social media, or something like that. That There's a lot of people that produce content um, in the hobby. 
And but a lot of it's the same, same. If you want to get hits on YouTube, do crash videos. Uh, that's what people like to watch, but they're not aero modelers, just general people like watching crash videos. I don't do crash videos. Uh, some people do like build videos. I don't do build videos because I'm not building, so I don't do build videos. You know, I'm busy doing other things. Uh, you know, some people do videos where all they do is show footage from flying events of planes flying. I do a little bit of that, but I don't do it. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be talking around it. So, um, you know, I have my own sort of style that I'm trying to do with the podcast. Most podcasts are out there, are a bunch of mates sitting around a microphone having a chit chat, same people every week. I went down the route of having guests on. I really wanted to have guests coming on and for them to share their story, almost like being a fly on the wall and listening to someone tell us their story. And I always say everybody has a story. A lot of people would be amazed how many people say to me when I invite them to come on the podcast and say, oh, I'm a nobody. You need to get somebody else that's done more. The reality is this. If I go and interview Gernot Brookman or Jace Ducio or some of the big name you know, flying guns, their story in aero modeling is very, very similar to Joe Blow from the local flying field. There's not a lot of difference. And, you know, everybody has their story, as I say, and they're not one is better than another. It's interesting to see the similarities in the trends, uh, which is making me a better marketer in the hobby, I believe, because of the amount of interviews that I've done and, and getting a feel for how people get into the hobby when they slump, when they turn 18 find cars and girls uh you know even people's entry into the hobby um and the different the different styles of people there really are in the hobby whether you're a flyer a builder if you're into aerobatic scale gliders all that kind of thing often you find that people sort of delve into lots of different areas Uh, so it's been an enjoyable ride for me to do uh and something i I am going to continue doing uh tossing up about the frequency of the podcast i still don't know because um the hardest thing, and I'm just being speaking honestly here, the hardest thing about this podcast is not actually recording the podcast. I love recording the podcast. I, I, I think I've told this story before. One day I was so tired from work. I just was having one of those days I was really, really tired. But I'd already agreed to do a podcast recording. can't remember which episode it was. and But I, I did it. And as soon as that record button was pressed, I got this second wind and I was buzzing. And at the end of the, the, the uh, recording, I thought, I thought to myself, you really enjoy doing this and it gives you a bit of a pep in your step. So I, uh, but the hardest thing is trying to find the guests. Uh, that's where I spend a fair bit of time sending messages off to people. And I've got this criteria. They have to sort of be on Facebook. I actually record via Facebook Messenger, but I can do it on Zoom or Teams. Any internet-based VoIP kind of system is better than a phone call because the audio is generally better as long as the people have got reasonable microphones and that kind of stuff. Uh, and so if they're not on Facebook, then it just adds an, another level of complexity. And what I believe with a lot of this stuff, if you start adding layers of complexity, you can't maintain the frequency of putting the content out there. And I think that a lot of you like seeing on that Wednesday every week another episode coming up. Now, whether you listen to it or not, it just doesn't really matter, but at least you've got the option. And that's what I always say. I'm just giving somebody an option. I don't make any money out of it. I don't have any revenue model uh, connected to this. I'd love to, but the realities of aero modeling is there's not a lot of money going around for things like advertising. And then if there is, you know, take a company like Horizon Hobby, well, they're spreading their money across multiple different things and they've got their own internal marketing team and do their own thing. I can argue the toss about not embracing other content creators and other marketing channels, but the reality is that most 
hobby businesses try to do things themselves. Uh, the reality is that people outside of their companies get more traction than uh, people inside the company doing the work. Um, so, you know, the likes of uh, Martin Pickering and a uh, whole host of other people on YouTube, Flight Test do a really good job. They get plenty of views, a lot of effort. When, you, when I see that, what those guys do, it's an amazing, amazing effort, especially with the video content because it takes a lot of time. But why do I do it? It's because I enjoy it. It's as simple as that. Uh, I almost like the freedom of not being paid to do this because then it's my choice as to what I can do, what I can say, can't say, when I do it. If I decide to not do it, do it or whatever, I don't owe anybody anything. So I do appreciate having that 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 freedom. Uh, but um, yeah, I just love talking about aero modeling. I do it more. I do more talking about it than I do flying at the moment. But that'll change. As I know from listening to lots of people's stories that we go in these ups and downs depending on life circumstances. And at the moment, I'm busy working, got to pay mortgages, got to feed the kids. That takes priority. And aero modeling is a, is a leisure activity for me amongst many other leisure activities. That is my problem. I can't sit still. I'm playing a lot of table tennis. Have I told you about how much table tennis I'm playing? Absolutely love my table tennis at the moment. But we'll always find time to put this podcast out, uh, always think of different things that I could maybe do on the podcast. Uh, but keep on coming back to the whole guest interview thing. So I hope you enjoy it. And I do want to thank all the guests that have come on board uh, because they dedicate their time to have a chat. I, I hope that most of them enjoy it. I don't think I'm twisting anybody's arm to come on. But, um, but yeah, without them, I, I'm, I can't create what I'm doing. And all I do is ask a few questions and sit back and have a discussion. And it's been one of the most common things that the guests say to me at the end of the recording is, gee, that was a lot easier than I thought. They lose themselves in having a chat. So uh, thanks for everyone for listening. <laughs> it's not the end of the podcast, but I just want to thank everybody for listening. You know, for those that have been there for the all 100 episodes, I do know who you are because I see the statistics and some of the names. Uh, but thank you and thanks to the guests. And uh, we'll just keep on rolling. guest time which is as i always say is my favorite part of the flat out rc podcast this week we have fraser briggs back for those of you who don't know who fraser briggs is well you haven't listened to some of the flat out rc podcasts with him but fraser comes from new zealand he is a world-renowned aerobatic pilot competed multiple multiple times at tucson uh tournament of champions aerobatic shootout all that kind of stuff and he uh is a well-loved figure and a funny guy, the kind of guy you want to hang out with at the field and you know you're going to have a good time with. And uh, what we've been doing is get, I get Fraser back now and again because he's, he's travelled a lot with the hobby and he's got lots of tales to tell. Generally, most of them involve drinking. That's what I've worked out is most of them involve drinking alcohol, some 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 variety, but anyway, generally beer. But uh, So I'm getting Fraser back because there's a whole list of stories that we had that he gave me. And we haven't got through all of them. So I thought, let's get him back for the 100th. We know that you like enjoying listening to him. So over to my chat with the one and only, the legend, Fraser Briggs. Well, we are up to the 100th episode of the Flat Out RC podcast. And I thought, who better to get on for the 100th episode than uh, Glenn Orchard? But he couldn't make it. So <laughs> we, are, we have the most popular guest to date, Fraser Briggs, back joining us. Fraser, good to see you again. 
Well, once again, it's a huge privilege to be here. I can't believe it's come around so quickly. I mean, it, it, it was only feels like a couple of weeks ago I was last talking to you, but uh, actually it was before Christmas time, wasn't it? That is true. I think you, you, were, you, were, you were the last episode of the year. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you're back now. And uh, we've actually got our cameras on. So so when I say it's good to see you, we are seeing each other. And you right. let me just, ex- you know, uh, explain what's going on. I ring up Fraze and Fraze says, give me a minute. I've got to duck out and fill up my glass. So uh, grab a cold one as Fraser has and sit down and uh, enjoy this chat that we're going to have. Uh, what are you drinking, uh, Fraser? Well, I, I make my own beer now. I, I've stopped drinking commercial beer. I, um, I've become a brewmaster. And um, the, the, the problem is, um, you know, New Zealand's two hours in front of Australia. So, you know, you, you're only at 7 o'clock on a Saturday night. You've probably only had one or two beers. But, of course, I started at 7 o'clock or 6 o'clock. And, and, and so I've been going for a couple of hours. So I'm, I'm, I'm um, well lubricated. Well, that beer <laughs> that you showed me looked really good. It had a good head on it. It's a, um, it's a, it's a Pilsner that I brewed. And everybody comes around. Yep, you know, you, if you've bought a DA motor, or you need an exhaust system, or you've bought like a, a propeller, you come around and you get to drink some of the beer. So guys know, you know make sure you come around at 5 o'clock because, of course, the, the bar doesn't open till 5. Oh, okay. See, that, that's a good tip for Desert Aircraft Australia maybe, that, you know, to look after their customers. They should brew their own beer and serve it to the customers as a bonus. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, no, I've I've become a bit of a craft beer snob in the last oh, two years, actually. <laughs> but and they're but the worst I type. I've I, I found one recipe that I like, and um, I just keep brewing that. It's brilliant. Well, have you, did you hear the story about the mini beers that we had at the uh, Wangaratta Jets event? The, the, what, the what beers? Uh, they're called mini beers. Oh, mini beers. Yeah. So what it is is it's a, it's a, like a shot of a spirit called Liquor Forty Three, comes from Spain. It's the same color as beer, and then they they put some cream on top to like pretend it's oh. the head of a beer. And let's just say they're very drinkable. And let's just say Aero Modelers got a bit wobbly after having a too <laughs> few too many. So it's like a beer shooter. It is, but they're yeah yeah it, kind of yeah. But they're called mini beers, and I'd never heard of them. And it's David Gale's fault. He introduced them to me, and um, yeah, I, I think they're going to become a staple over here at uh, especially jet flying events. Oh yeah, I tell you, I can't wait to retire. This afternoon, I was working on a jet actually. Oh, were you? <laughs> yeah. What is? is oh. Do you think a jet's a retirement? plane to fly oh look all aerobatic guys you know when they when 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 going to the field and doing lots of practice gets too much for them you know oh let's get a jet right now the um top gun is on in florida and there's guys that i used to fly oh, yeah. against in in the toc i think frank Knoll. he's i think he's winning top gun and like the, they've all got jets all the top 10 guys yeah, they're yeah. all flying jets yeah Yep, some some dude coming eleventh with a Piper Cub. Yeah, this show. <laughs> I always, I've my, I've had this saying for the past couple of years: all roads lead to jets. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, I, I can just imagine, you know, being in a retirement village and yeah, what are you doing today, love? Well, I, I went to golf yesterday. What is? I'm going to go and fly my jet today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I sent you a link. I've just, you know, as we're recording this, I've, I've just released my. 
the crash investigation video after I crashed my turbine jet at Wangaratta Jets. And so that's just gone live. I sent you the link. You might not have had a chance to look at it. But um, Well, I saw this little link come through and I thought it was like a Mario from... Uh... Yeah, oh, look, <laughs> that's that's Barry Worm. He's from um, Focket, F-O-C-I-T, flat out crash <laughs> investigation team. And oh, he, he did the investigation as to why my plane crashed. Uh, so, you know, there are a lot of interviews with me as well as part of that video. So if you haven't already, get onto the Flat Out RC YouTube channel and uh, have a look at that video. There's a plug. Like so that. How, how was Wangaratta Jets last weekend? No, Wangaratta Jets was end of March, early April. Oh, okay. So it was a couple of weeks ago, before Easter. It was before Easter. And, I yeah, I binned it pretty much. Oh no! Was it uh, a loft issue? What's a loft issue? L O F T. No, don't know what that is. Lack of fucking talent. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, no. Look, there is talent. This the pilot is extremely talented. Just ask him. But um, it was I pulled too much elevator and basically a high speed stall. We, oh uh, really? Stalled Did the it... the tip of the. Viper jets apparently have a tendency to do that, you know, to want to spiral in. I was flying it like an aerobatic plane. That was my problem. Oh, okay. Were you coming into land or you were just cruising? No, I was about 20 seconds into the flight. Oh, oh, on takeoff. No, I took off, turned left, did a roll, pulled the 45 line up, rolled over to loop back around and then got, you know, started the half loop to come back, like turnaround maneuver and uh, pulled on the elevator to bring it level and um, that pulling of the elevator uh yeah stalled it apparently oh, bugger that's what barry worm in the video talks about so go oh, okay. and see barry worm from right. <laughs> yeah, anyway uh so what have you been up to well besides uh, we're at the, well well i mean i've obviously been drinking a little bit of beer not not too much my doctor told me that it's very unhealthy to drink beer every uh every day i said it's not a problem doc i only drink beer at night time um, yeah, but we've true. had uh, we've had a very good a very good summer uh, here in New Zealand. Lot, lots of flying. Um, I, I don't think that we've had any events that have been um, cancelled due to weather. Well, okay, the um, warbirds are Watoto. That's our big uh, biggest rally in New Zealand. That that was a little bit buggered up by weather um, actually, so that one got cancelled. Um, but other than that, we've had a very good summer and we've still got a few events to go before we kind of wind down for winter. Yeah, good. It's been similar, actually, um, over here. We've had plenty of events and um, they've all been pretty much run. I think there was one this weekend as we as we talk that was postponed because of uh, the forecast of bad weather, but sort of the weather wasn't as bad as what turned out and what it was forecast to be. But uh but yeah, besides that, everything I've got. I've got an event coming up. The the uh, actually, it'd be this coming weekend after this podcast goes live, is the uh, Bensdale uh, Mid May Muster down here, which is going to be a good event. There's going to be plenty of people. So hopefully, fingers crossed, the weather's going to be good for that one. Is is there a rugby team turning up? No. Oh well, in New Zealand, when it's a muster, that that's what they do at the very start of the season of the rugby. They have their muster day and that's when anyone who wants to play rugby turns up and fills in a clipboard and a piece of paper and i'd like to play rugby that's the muster well that'd be good but my days of playing rugby are over and i did play rugby and i didn't fare too well 
last night I watched my team, the Chiefs, play the Queensland Reds. The referee played an absolute blinder of a game. He nearly won it for the Reds. <laughs> Here we go. Like, the, 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 the Reds somehow scored a try. It went to the you know the third umpire and yeah. he he comes back and he says oh you know the guy the guy didn't ground the ball uh in goal and then the referee went oh all right it's a try yeah. uh, what hang on a minute you, you just seen the replay <laughs> the guy didn't ground the ball and the ref still give him a try oh, really? anyway so the chiefs had to play really well to beat not only the queensland reds but they had to beat the referee too and so they won yeah, only just though. Oh, gee. Yeah, only just. See? In fact, so th- this this weekend, all of the Kiwi teams have gone to Australia, and uh, even the Blues, top of the table, um, they only just beat the Western Force. Um, so yeah, pretty exciting that we're, at, we're that we're allowed to do stuff again. So you Kiwis love your rugby. Gee, <laughs> we don't. Let's not talk about the league. I don't. I don't follow the Warriors, but apparently last week it was the worst ever um, rugby league score in world history. <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> well done. And what have yeah. you been flying? Have you been flying anything? Um, okay, so we had our we had our nationals. That was first week of January. That was really good. So I flew Pylon, I flew iMac. Um uh, I, I test flown my biplane. I've been working on this F3A biplane with YS in it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that, that's taken a little bit of sorting out. So I've been flying the biplane um, quite a bit lately. Um, and uh, yeah, we've had we've had plenty of competitions around the country. So I've been flying my big extra. Um, yeah, no, it's been good. And how have you been performing? What are you, what are the results like? Um, no, no, the results have been um, enjoyment has been had. Um, <laughs> yeah. You lost. No, <laughs> no, 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 I didn't. Um, I won our, I won F3A at our nationals. It was pretty close, actually, because last year, the Kiwi guy, Andrew Palmer, he managed to um, knock me off at the nationals. So there was a bit of a revenge um revenge flying and the weather was shitty and nasty mm. um and then actually in in january we had a competition and my mate hamish uh hamish galloway worms and that's his nickname yeah. and uh he flies f3a and uh so we had a competition over in taronga and and he he pipped me uh for first place i came second so like, oh worms you bastard like you know it's taken him a long time They're to uh, catching up yeah yeah it's taken him a long time anyway we just had a, a competition last weekend down in the southern hawks bay actually on his farm um there were 15 of us down there uh, it was anzac weekend it was a bloody bloody good weekend yeah it's a good one here too. anyway it, it it got really windy at the end of the weekend. That's when we started flying F three A. Like it was blowing twenty knots, probably gusting to thirty knots, and man, <laughs> it was really awesome. Anyway, um, are you are you planning on coming to the World Champs in Australia? Oh look, it'd be rude not to, wouldn't it? It'd oh, be rude not be to, great, wouldn't it? <laughs> it'd be really yeah, good. I'm working towards that. Um, so the shootout's happening in October um, Tucson. this year. Um, Tucson shootout and I got an email from those guys about six or eight weeks ago and you know we were still full COVID 
And I'm like going, ah, oh, there's no way I could. The borders, it's just, it's just too hard. In the last couple of weeks, things have started opening up a little bit, and and I probably could get to Tucson, but I just said, ah, oh, you know, let, let's just leave it. Um, so yeah, the worlds are coming up next year, and that'd be quite good. But you know, um, I think the Aussie Masters are happening in September, in um, at that at that same site. So you never know. I might be able to nip over to the Aussie Masters. You should do that. That'd be good yeah. practice anyway for the following year if you make it to the. How many? How many people were then in the select for the team in New Zealand? The three. Well, we've probably got five. Well, we we get to select three, and one junior, and um, yeah, there's probably about five or six guys that'll be trying to get on that team, including uh, a Kiwi that lives in Australia, Stephen Johnson who is going to fly back to New Zealand to try and make the Kiwi team so that yeah. he can he can fly in the worlds. And uh, and, and that will cause a bit of a shake-up um, if Stephen comes over here because all of a sudden, you know, like, you know, the top one, two, maybe three spots, pretty all much decided already. But if he comes over, that will really throw the cat amongst the pigeons. Uh, yeah. Gee. It's going to be a bit of argy-bargy over in New Zealand. I can see it now. Well, it won't be as much drama as what you guys have over there. You, you've already started having your team trials. Yeah, yeah. They've had, they've had, I think, one trial. And I think there's another one to go. So, yeah, not sure when that when that's happening. But um, Aaron Gale sent me a message. He's gunning for the team and he's looking good. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to get him on the podcast. We'll have a chat about what he's up to with the F3A and the practice and how things are going for the world. So, it's going to be good. Casinos had a, you know, they had a bit of water. We had, you know, all those floods up in northern Australia, and uh, there was supposed to be the big festival of aero modelling event at the casino airport, and that's been postponed due to the weather. And uh, you know, the, the they need to keep the airport open mainly for planes to get in and out to support um, the flooded areas. So, uh, so they postponed it. So, uh, but anyway, it looks like a good site for the uh, for the world champs. Well, we we had um, we had some pretty major flooding over here about a month ago too. Um, oh, I guess I think there was a big cyclone that followed on from what you guys were getting, and it hit the east coast of New Zealand. Yeah. And one of our really good flying sites, Awatoto, we had the rumble there in February, and um, yeah, a month ago it was like two meters underwater. Oh, really? Yep. Um, that, I mean, they're on a floodplain. They're right by the sea. It, it happens every now and again. Yeah. Uh, when it floods, if it if the water moves off pretty quickly, it's not too much of a problem. But if the water settles, then they get this big silt drop. Oh. And um, yeah, they got about like I don't know, a foot to two foot of silt. The actual oh. flying field itself is okay, but the whole parking area and oh. the pits area just um, they're big mess. Yeah, it's not good. My uh... My local flying club has a, a flooding issue every few years. It gets a bit underwater, but at the moment we've got the, the opposite, cracking. We've got cracks all over the place. I was actually, I was, went for a fly recently and there's all these um, locusts or crickets or something living in the cracks. And you sit there and about five of them pop their heads out of the crack and they see you and they all pop down at the same time. So you just go from crack to crack. So you can see these little insects. It's a bit of fun. Uh so travel plans is on my, you know, I've got here any travel plans. So you were invited to some, but you're not going. The New Zealand, I saw the New Zealand um, Prime Minister um, 
on telly over here in Australia saying how they're opening things up. Uh, here in Australia, we're pretty open. I might be going to, to Vegas in June, yet to find out for a work thing. But um, actually, I was going to ask you this question later, but I'm going to ask, ask you now. You've travelled a lot for, for your hobby. So, you know, if there's anybody that I'm going to ask this question to, it's going to be you. What are, you, what are your tips for travelling with model planes? <laughs> um, yeah, make sure your model box is really light. <laughs> yeah, that's a good tip. Yeah. But how do, you make um, a, well, how do you make it light? Right, okay. So a lot of people, you know, oh, what's happening? You know, you're off to America. You know, how, how do you get there? How do you take those planes? So, well, we, we check them on in New Zealand. We just check them on as luggage. What? Surely not. Yeah, of course we do, you know. Um, okay, it used to be a lot easier. Uh, America had this two-bag system, and each bag, each suitcase, you know. You imagine Americans traveling the world. Yeah, they got plenty of luggage. They got plenty of cargo. <laughs> yeah. And so they'd get two bags each, 32 kilograms or 70 pounds, you know. That's an absolute massive amount of luggage that one person can take. So we, we used to go to um, the TOC and we'd take two model boxes and those model boxes, yeah, they weighed 32 kilos. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so if you had four guys going, each person could take 32, well, 64 kilos per guy. So if you got four guys going, getting to America was really easy. In fact, it used to be easier for me to get to America than to go to Australia because when you went to Australia, you got 20 kilos and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. No two bags, no system like that, 20 kilos. It was like, man, you were really scratching to get your get your luggage under that weight. But So what we do is we make the model boxes really light. We make them out of like one-eighth plywood and they got this real basic sort of 10 mil square wooden frame and all the panels screw together. So when you... You know, the, the, you get to the airport and you wheel in this huge big model box and they go, where's your suitcase? Oh, I don't have a suitcase. What do you mean you don't have a suitcase? Well, this is my suitcase, you know. And, of course, your model's in there and a couple of pairs of undies and a couple of pairs of shorts and maybe a couple of T-shirts because if you're going overseas, <laughs> you can just buy that shit when you get there. Ho hopefully where you're going is going to be nice and warm, right? Anyway, they put the bloody massive box on the scales and sure enough, it weighs like, well, now the system is 23 kilo. That's the international system America had to conform. Anyway, they put it on the scales, and sure enough, it weighs 29, not 22.9 kilos. You know, it's like, wow, weighs the same as a suitcase. Imagine that. <laughs> so you kind of, when you're packing all your gear, you've got to know the system that you're traveling on, and you've got to have a set of scales there, and you've got your model in the box and then you're like okay put the wing tube in oh yeah yeah yeah. okay uh oh there's room for another three t-shirts yeah <laughs> so if you know the system it's easy to do it did you ever have any problems with um damage on planes or anything no nah. um we one time we got to la and um the plane didn't come down the chute it's like oh shit we we, we were like oh no we, you know, shootout starts in like three or four days. Where's the plane? Anyway, the um, the suitcases turned up, but we had no model. 
I think the engine box, we have like this, um, we have this box, it's like a sea chest. It's about, I don't know, 600 square and it's pretty heavy plywood and that's where the motors and the mufflers and the batteries and all the spare parts go and it's loaded up to the whatever the you know 23 kilos is and um we call it the christmas hamper <laughs> <laughs> because when you get to the other end you know you get the drill out and you, you pull the lid off and and it's just like christmas time because you know out comes a da 200 <laughs> out comes a set of mtw exhaust pipes anyway so a guy that came with us on the tour once ted he he nicknamed it the christmas hamper um so we we literally we're in la we've got our suitcases we've got the christmas hamper we've got no fuselage box we've got no wing box like oh shit anyway so we we rock up to the la um lax in new zealand counter and uh, yeah, we, we've, we've got some missing luggage. Oh, okay. So we fill in the form. We talk to the guy and um, he says, oh, well, when we find your luggage, we'll, we'll send it to you. We're like, well, you probably won't because when you see the size of our luggage, you're going to ring us up and tell us to come and collect it. But we're, we've got a van. We're driving to Arizona. Like we, we've got to get on the road. So me and Baldrick, we sat there at the airport and we're like, what do we do now? Do we, do we drive to Arizona knowing that when they find the luggage, they're not going to ship it or do we just wait here in LA on the off chance that they're going to find the luggage and, and give us a ring. So in the end, we, um, we knew we had a spare model at DA in Tucson. We thought, right, well, we've got a spare model down there. So we'll, we'll hit the road anyway. Sure enough, two, two days later, finally, you know, after a lot of phone calls and, you know, we're trying to track this model down in New Zealand, we get hold of them and, and they said, oh, yeah, we've, we found your model box. Um, it was, it was in the airplane the whole time. We just, they hadn't looked down the, the rear cargo hold to see that there was some stuff down there. So it, it flew back to Auckland. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no. but, but now, but now it's back in LA. So we're, we're going to ship it to you. And we're like, oh, no. Now, in America, um, FedEx is the big shipping company, and they're based in Memphis, Tennessee. So they had to ship this model box from L.A. to Tucson, and it went via Memphis, which if you have a look at a map of America, it went miles out of the way to then go miles back anyway we're out practicing with the spare plane you know all these phone calls are happening we've got this lost model eventually a wing box shows up we're like oh wow the wings are here <laughs> that's awesome yeah anyway the fuselage showed up the next day and um well we'd run out of time that model that we that we'd built um it, it was a little bit heavy we only had a day i think practicing in the desert with us uh, anyway, the model got nicknamed the Memphis Bell. So that was the only time I've ever gone overseas and had luggage go missing. Did yeah. you fly the Memphis Bell there or not? Yeah, we did. We did. We flew it in the shootout. It was a, one of our PBG extras. It had the DA-200 in it. Um, um, it was a little bit heavy. Um, but one of the great things about going to the shootout 
is it's a direct flight from New Zealand to LA. So there's very little chance of them losing your luggage. If you're flying from one side of the planet to the other and you've got a connecting flight, that's when the trouble occurs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and, I'm a and, big, big fan of direct flights myself. Yeah. And, and a lot of the guys from Europe that would come to the um, come to the TOC, they'd make sure they got a direct flight to LA and they would, you know, that guaranteed that they were going to get to LA and then they just rented a truck and drove to Las Vegas. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, like, I really like that too about light box. Um, I was talking to, I was down at the flying field having a bit of a fly and the um, the Aussie team for the um, Scarwood champs was there having a bit of a practice and know all of them, of course, the members of the club. And uh, and I was talking to Melissa Law and she was saying she just got a quote to, sh- to ship the models there. So they, I think there was going to be um, – Air freight there and sea freight back, and it was seventeen thousand uh, dollars to get all the planes there and back. Oh, it's crazy! I mean, look if you know the airport system and you can get your boxes in within their luggage weight limits, mm. you're going to save thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, I remember one year we needed to send a spare plane um, to the shootout, and I think we spent twelve hundred dollars, and it got air freighted. Um, to Tucson Airport, and Dave from DA went out and and picked picked it up for us. Um, but uh, Baldrick, who comes on the tours, he he gets a little bit stressed out now with all the travelling with models can be a little bit stressful. So when we last went to the shootout with Baldrick in 2015, he crated up his aeroplane and it went by sea, um, and I, I think it cost him a couple of couple of grand to send it, but. The problem is, you've you've got no model for three months. <laughs> you know, yeah. you you boxed your, your the shootouts on in like October, and you've got to box your airplane up in June, and then sit around for three months while it goes on a boat to get there. Um, so that was what was always used to be really great with us going to the to the TOC and the shootout, is we could literally fly that model right up till almost the last day, and then pack it in the box get on the bloody jumbo jet and then gone yeah you can almost uh with some of the models nowadays you know if you want to fly over there buy a extreme flight airframe take your your motor and your servos with you you probably have the plane built in a day the way they're building them now well um yep that's exactly what's happening so um there's a kiwi that lives in um in brisbane He's called Stephen Greek. Yep. And his nickname's Huggy Bear. Yes, that's right. And um, Huggy Bear's going to the shootout. He flies unlimited. And I've been talking to him a little bit. And he's just told me he's got a, um extreme flight to do like a huge laser. Yeah. It's yeah. like a one, two, one massive, 25 inch, I think it is. Yeah. Huge, bloody huge big laser. Yeah. And he's put a DA200 in it. He's practicing on it. And he's bought another one. And he's when he gets there, he'll put that one together. So it means he can go to America, take the transmitter, yeah. take some servos, you know, put the plane together in a day, um, and then then fly it. Yeah, you can almost sell it after the event if you wanted to. And then yeah, we yeah we used to do that too when we went to the shootout uh, or the TOC. We'd would take two planes and would sell the older one and would come home with one plane and then we'd build another one and, you know, we'd rotate these planes through. So there's some of my old airplanes from way back 
still kicking around in Arizona, guys that got them. That's cool. <laughs> that is cool. Now, you've got plenty of stories to tell. And um, on our list of stories, because we have a growing list, uh, is one called Tucson Barbecue. And since we, you know, we're talking about Tucson and stuff, what's this <laughs> Tucson bar? I've got all these, like, for anyone listening out there, I've got all these, like, cryptic headlines. I don't know what the story is about, but but Fraser does. So I just need to say Tucson Barbecue and then hand it over to, to Fraser to explain what, what what's that all about. Okay. Well, yeah, this was this was bad. Um, I mean, normally when you go to a barbecue, it's really great. But uh, we had a barbecue out in the middle of Arizona desert, and we nearly set fire to the whole bloody desert out there, um, <laughs> which is why it's called the barbecue. Um, I think it was two thousand and five. So I went, I went, I've been, I've been to the shootout, and uh, we went in two thousand and five with the compath. Uh, they they came out with a two sixty, and I was like, wow, this is awesome. Get the compath two sixty going. Uh, I think there was something going on with um, we hadn't maybe there was a problem with the DA two hundreds for for a couple of years. DA had crank trouble and there just were no two hundreds available. You couldn't get a two hundred. They were trying to deal with crank problems, so everyone kind of fell back on DA one fifties. The one seventy wasn't out anyway. So I um I got a um, a compath three meter two sixty. And I've been flying the pants off it. Um, I actually, after the 2004 shootout, I brought the prototype home. So Andreas from Compath came to the shootout. He had the prototype of the three meter 260. And I'm like, wow, th this thing's awesome. You know, can, can we take it back to New Zealand? He's like, yeah, 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 take it back. You know, we want to we want to get the thing flying. And then they came up with some other color schemes. Anyway. We had some really weird problems when I threw my radio gear in that model and um, we we kept on going into failsafe. Um, now, this was before 2.4 gigahertz, so we're on long wire. Mm. Uh, I'd be flying and 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 it would it would lock into failsafe. And we weren't sure was it an engine problem that we're having? Or is it some sort of range issue? Um, we'd started doing range testing on the ground. And even range testing, we were having problems. Um, we were doing range testing um, like at close proximity with the aerial fully down. And it's like, oh, okay, get on the phone, Baldrick, get in the van, drive 800 metres down the runway, let's do some range testing with full aerial up, you know. Um, something really weird happened at the flying field. Someone said, oh, the, the, you know, if the model's Earth, you might get better range. <laughs> this Good is crazy. We, we stuck it, yeah, we, we stuck a screwdriver in the ground. We got a pair of jumper cables. We 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 put the jumper cables onto the screwdriver in the ground and then the other end of the jumper cable onto the propeller blade and now we had range. <laughs> Baldrick on the phone. I'm like, Baldrick, give it up elevator. Up give it some right aileron. Right aileron. Ah, oh, wow. Okay, take the jumper cable off. Yep, now give it some aileron. No, the ailerons aren't working. We went down this huge rabbit hole of a total 
um, conundrum. It, it was things just got weirder and weirder. And I literally remember sending a, a, an email to Dave at DA saying, oh, well, we think we're coming over to the shootout, but we might have to put a hook on the bottom of an airplane <laughs> um, because we need a tow because we can't have a propeller on the front because yeah. we've got no range. Anyway, th this was... Um, uh, anyway, okay, so what I did was I thought, right, we keep flying the model. I'm, I'm going in and out of fail-safe. I put a little bit of rudder in with the fail-safe setting so that when it went into fail-safe, it, it would come back to idle, the motor, but also the rudder would kick over. Yeah. So then if you were flying, you knew, ah, this is not a motor problem. I've just gone into failsafe because you get a little kick from the rudder. Yeah. I'll be flying through the sequence and, you know, the plane will and, the, and you see the model whoo, pitch sideways. Yeah. It's like, wow, we just got another hit. Yeah. Anyway, um, on one of the days, I took off and literally I'm right in front of myself on takeoff and the model kicked rudder. And I'm like going, this is not a range issue. How can it possibly be a range issue? I'm standing 20 meters away from the airplane. Okay, what have we done differently? We put tune pipes in the model. And there was a lot of talk on the internet at the time about guys having similar problems with tune pipes. And um, <laughs> I remember Kike, he was, he was saying, oh, <laughs> when the tune pipe get hot, the tune pipe increase length by five millimeter. <laughs> and now inside the Teflon coupler, your tube pipe is touching header and making RF noise. I'm like going, well, that sounds like a good theory, but somehow I don't think the tube pipe is going to expand in length by that much. Anyway, so I'm on the back lawn at my place. I've got the motor running and I've got it tied down and I'm revving the throttle. And sure enough, about 30 seconds after running the motor, I, I, I've got it on full bore and I saw both tune pipes just move forward and touch the header. And I'm like, ah, this is what's been happening all along. Kike knows something. Kike knows something. He was onto it, but he was a little bit crazy what, what he was talking about. I mean, the tune pipes, pipes weren't expanding. They were just moving. Yeah. They needed a screw. They needed a screw through them. Uh, anyway, so the prototype Compath 260 that we were flying, we wrote it off. I was on a downline, and it went into failsafe, and it, I I got it back. Like it may was only about 20 or 30 meters above the ground, going vertical. I pulled full elevator, and the wings clapped hands, and the thing just oh. drove itself into the ground. It was like, oh, no. Anyway. After that, I got another 260, and we found all these problems out. And, you know, the tune pipes were um, moving and touching the headers and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so now we go to Tucson, and the model we're flying over there doesn't even have tune pipes on it. It's just got stock mufflers because when you're out in the desert, it needs to be as light as possible. And so in the desert, they don't got noise problems, so you put those little stock mufflers on. Anyway, we're out there practicing. <laughs> and it's like, I think it's um, two days before the shootout's about to start. I've been practicing on this 260, and the thing's on rails. And 
Richo, he's with us. Oh, Steve Richardson. Oh, man, Bogan's flying awesome. Oh, wait till we get to the shootout. Bogan's flying awesome. He's he's throwing all these unknowns at me, and I'm just killing it in the in the practice. And, and um, there's all these Americans sitting on deck chairs, and they're all sitting there watching. Wow, look at Bogan. He's on rails. Wow, two days of the shootout, you know. Anyway, I'm I'm flying along. I'm probably about 30 feet off the deck, and, it, and the thing's cruising along. And I thought... It's just diving a slight little amount. So I reach over with my right hand. I'm a mode one flyer. So I've got the elevator in my left hand. So I reach right over to give it one click of up trim. And I actually turn the tranny off. Oh, no. Yep. I turned the transmitter off. And guess what happened? It went into fail safe. And that little bit of rudder came in. Yeah. And because the rudder came in, it pitched down straight away and just went wham straight into the ground. <laughs> you chump. <laughs> you turned the transmitter off. Yep. I turned uh... the transmitter off. Anyway, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Actually, what happened was as I turned the transmitter off, I realized straight away what I'd done. I was like, oh, shit. But I didn't want to take my eyes off the model. So I, I was still looking at the model and I was fumbling for the on switch so that when it came on, I was looking at it, but didn't happen. Mm. Anyway, so it hit the ground <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> Richard's like, bugging, what did you do? You turned the tranny off. He knew straight away. I'm like, yeah, accidentally turned the tranny off. Anyway, there's all these spectators, rent a crowd. They're all sitting there yeah. and they just like, Oh my God, what just happened? <laughs> Bogan, what did you do? <laughs> and I just turned around. I just turned the tranny off. <laughs> what did he say? I think he said he turned the transmitter off. Why would he do that? <laughs> hey, Bogan, why did you turn the transmitter off? <laughs> I was reaching for the up trim and I accidentally turned the transmitter off. Oh, he was reaching for the up trim and he accidentally turned off the transmitter. Oh, shit. Anyway, in the, now in the meantime, out in the desert, there's this huge, like, mushroom cloud of flames <laughs> <laughs> and black smoke. And it's like, holy shit. And we, we were flying in the desert. I mean, it wasn't like just like, wasn't like being on Mars. It, it was, there was like all these bushes and desert bushes and tumbleweeds. And we're like, holy shit. I mean, so we get in the bloody van. We go racing over to find where it is, and uh, there was we didn't have any fire extinguishers. We didn't have any any water. There was nothing we could do. It was in a clearing. Um, the motor was had come crashing off the front of the airplane, and it was in the desert, and it was on fire. Yeah, oh. there was a bit of propeller blade sticking out of the desert, and it was on fire. the The flames were like you know. 15 feet tall you couldn't get near it um and we just stood there there's some photos um they're not good to look at uh and then uh, we didn't set fire to the desert luckily um but there was nothing left of the model there was just like it was almost like on roadrunner the cartoon you know there yeah, was yeah. the shape of the model yeah, yeah and the yeah. shadow of the model but there There's was no nothing. model nothing carbon fiber just raw carbon fiber yeah. and then the electrical gear. And that was it. Yeah. So nothing was salvaged. Nothing. That was the barbecue. Oh. So we, <laughs> so we, 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 
we pile it all in the back of this ute and we go back to the to the flying site and we sit down and there's a couple of three or four americans there and they weren't saying too much and oh bogan that was really bad luck you had there what are you guys gonna do now i said well right now we're gonna this is about four o'clock in the afternoon now i said right now we're gonna sit down and we're gonna have a beer (laughs) (laughs) and after we finish this beer we're gonna pull that spare model out of the van that's over there and we're gonna put the motor in it it had no motor Uh, it was our old pbg 260 that was we took it as a backup i think it might have even still been sitting in the factory and we had it in the van but it needed a whole lot of work doing to it so i said yep we're gonna we're gonna drink this beer and then we're gonna put that model together so we we sat there for 20 minutes (laughs) (laughs) and then it was all hands on deck there were four kiwis getting this getting an engine on the front all the mufflers we test flew it like literally when it went dark just enough just for one quick fly and then the next day we had one day practicing on that model just with a 150 not with a 200 so it didn't have very much power and that was it we were off to the shootout and uh (laughs) everyone had seen the photos of the big barbecue um and um i was like oh man anyway we rock up to the shootout and I won the first round. First round. People are just standing there going, wow, you know, 48 hours ago, there's a picture of you standing in the desert and, you're, and your number one model is just totally gone. <laughs> yeah. And then you turned up and won. I didn't. I think I came third that year at the shootout. It was tough going because we had this massive airplane uh, with only a DA-150 in it. And um, But anyway, yep. It's interesting, you know, talking about the – I remember when I sort of got into flying, you know, one o'clock at least 10, 10 years ago, and people were flying iMac. They had 150s in their three metres and maybe a, a 170, you know. It was a 175 or a 170, whatever size it is. But now it seems to be 200s of the norm. Like, I just don't understand why people now have to have the 200. Is it, you know, are they that much better or is it the sequences well, that are being flown or what? Well, I think that's just in Australia. In, in New Zealand, there's only me and another guy with a 200. All the all the guys have got 150s or, yeah. or maybe there's a couple of guys with 170s. But I've been to Australia and I've seen guys flying in basic with a 200. <laughs> but do you, yeah. they're like sheep, though. Like, you know... I remember iMac sort of, if you flew iMac, you either had a krill or a compass over here, right? Everybody was flying krills or compass. Now it's extreme flight, like extreme flight lasers are everywhere, a dime a dozen. Um, and, you know, mainly balsa, you know, plied, built up planes rather than composites. Well, um, they're cheap. That's why they're cheap. You can you can have two yeah, for the price of one. That's yep. true. The composites are expensive. Yeah, but yeah they, go all, they go all crinkly in the sun. That's true. It's yep. true, but you know the but it's just and then the DA two hundred thing. You know, it's like oh well, you got to have a DA two hundred in your three meter now, um, and they're not cheap. I tell you what. Yeah, you, look, you you don't have to have a DA two hundred, but look, if you've got the money and you want to have, a, you know, you got a nice car, you got a nice house. I want the nice motor. 
But to so, fly it, is it is it is it is it better for iMac to have the, the the extra power or not? Well, look in the sportsman class, you can fly a fifty cc model and smoke all of those. I call them fogs now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or, or those old guys that have got like a massive airplane with a DA two hundred in it, but they're only in sportsman, so they're not really got the flying skill. A young guy can rock up with a fifty cc model and smoke them in sportsman, and he moves up to intermediate. Um, if you go to the shootout, though, it's a high desert and you need masses of power. Um, so, yeah, you, you, you need the 200. But, you know, for just regular IMAC competitions in New Zealand and Australia, you can rock up with a 150 and you're going to do just as well. We've got a lot of people flying um, 120s. You know, yeah, what the, yeah, DA120, 2.6-metre-sized airplanes. Yeah. Those have actually got more power than yeah. a 3.2-metre with a 200 in it. Yeah. 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 I was seeing that that a lot, of, especially the, sort of the new crop, some of the younger younger guys or whatever just getting the 100ccs and flying those and still doing a pretty, pretty decent job at it. One of the problems that I see with young guys is their flying talent often – exceeds their spending power so they haven't got a job they're not earning lots of money but they got this awesome flying talent and they can only afford a 50cc airplane and it's really hard juggle you know back in the day when i was a young guy there was no there was no expensive airplanes you had to build them you might have an os 108 um on on you know there was there was no massive expense involved so it can be a little bit frustrating to see the um the big gap between flying talent and spending power. Yeah, that's true. I will sort of encourage some of the young guys to just fly what they have because if you're flying basic or sportsman, you're still sort of, sort of junior ranks. And, uh, you know, by the time you sort of start getting up, you know, to more serious levels, you might have a job and then can go and upgrade your plane kind of thing. But um, yep. nothing beats stick time, I, I believe. No, nothing beats stick time. We've got a young guy here. In New Zealand, he's just started flying basic. He's got a um, a nice 120 size model, and uh, he started texting me on the phone. You know, oh, how do I learn this? How do I learn that? And I'm like, going, all you need to do is just go out to the field with 20 liters of gas and make it all disappear, yeah. <laughs> and then do it again next weekend. <laughs> yeah. No, I say the same thing, but. Uh... We always, I think, like to think, oh, well, if I had a better plane, I'd be able to fly. You know, but it's, look, when you think about it, a lot of extreme flight planes, 3D Hobby Shop over the years, Compass, whatever, were bought because somebody saw somebody else fly it on, on YouTube and thought that maybe if I buy that plane, I'll be able to fly like that. And uh, it's just not that simple. You know, Jace Ducey flies a certain way that I'll never fly like in my life. And if I buy the same plane that he's flying, it doesn't mean I'm Jace Ducey. I'm still just a hacker. What you need is a is a guy that that's half decent to have a fly of your model and go, okay, change this, tweak that, trim that. You know, those are the sort of things that that will help a a newbie get up to speed faster. That's true. I've always I've got this saying. Uh, Good pilots make bad planes look good, and bad pilots make good planes look bad. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> because I've seen, I've seen, I was in China, and there was a guy that was making these foamies that Hobby King was selling. 
So Hobby King would give him an order for, oh, make me 200 of those little foamy slicks. And um, and Martin Bramwell from Austria was there with me and he f- and the guy said, quite proudly, he said, fly one of my planes and tell me what you think. And uh, anyway, he flew the plane and it looked like an esky lid, like it was just, <laughs> I, I don't know. But I'm sitting there going. Can we have a, can we have a translation on esky chili lid? Bin. The- chili oh, bin. Chili bin. Chili bin, right. Yeah, 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 sorry. Cooler box. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. And uh, I, said, I said to Martin, what was that like? He goes, yeah, it's not that good. I said, yeah, but you flew it. Looked like, no, if I could fly it like you did, I'd be happy. But um, the next flight, the owner takes the plane up and he's doing some sort of spin or something and the canopy ejects and the batteries come out of it with the canopy and end up in the ground two-piece. The guy goes, it doesn't matter. I've got 200 of them in the warehouse. I can go and fly another one. But it was, uh, it was not good. But Martin made it look good. He really did. But um, yeah, so just practice. I've actually been getting on the simulator myself. You know, I'm I'm a big fan of the simulator. It it's just it's just the way that I work. That it really brushes up on my skills, and I become get a bit more precision back, and I get more confidence back, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm trying to get myself now every night for at least 10, 20, 30 minutes. Get on the sim and just bang the sticks around, and uh, and ever since I crashed my plane, I realised I'm probably a bit out of practice. So. Uh, been too busy. Now, what's this curbs and arrows story you're going to tell me about? Right. Before we tell you that one, I've got to take a two-minute break. Oh. Right there. Yeah. I've okay. been. I'm. I. Uh, you know why I've got to go for a quick break? I'll be right back. Okay. Smash the boots. Stay tuned, everyone. Fraser's has gone to the toilet, I think, and then he's um, topping up his glass. Uh, my back teeth. My back teeth were floating. Yeah, well, uh, I'll tell you what, the, the, now that you've got sort of a uh, constant supply of uh, beer, <laughs> it, you have to you have to keep an eye on it to make sure it hasn't gone off. And the only way to do that is to taste it. It's a big problem. I'm getting fat and there's only one solution and that is I'll have to do more exercise. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, I, I've been losing weight um, and that's just really portion control of my meals through buying prepackaged meals. It's great. We have a thing called Light and Easy over here. Don't know whether you've got it there. Uh, we've got one over here. It's called uh, Light and Tasty. Oh, get into the Light and Tasty. You too can be starving 24 hours a day like me. <laughs> oh, this week it was terrible. I just I had crooked guts and I don't know what was going on. This diet's really affecting me in negative ways. But anyway, uh, now you're going to okay. tell me about curbs and arrows. Right. What? Curbs and arrows? Bows and arrows? Well, I... Well, Where does it say on the... Hang on. Wait a second. Somewhere on there. This it is curbs and arrows on your list. Oh, right. Okay. Yes, oh, it does. Dude, there's so many stories that you can't okay. remember your own stories. Right. So if you've ever been to America, they've got really... This is two quick stories here. Usually they're long stories. They're going to be two quick ones. Okay. So in America... They've got these massive curbs, right? Between, uh, do you call it a curb? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're calling curbs. Yeah, right. Okay. And the rental vans have not got a very good um, steering lock. And you know, if you're a tourist, you're always getting lost. You're always having to make U-turns, right? And so when you get to a set of traffic, I say, ah, shit, we're supposed to go, get off back there. So, right, and all the boys in the back would just yell out, U-turn, and you knew. <laughs> If you give the van full right lock, 
it might have been full left lock actually because it's in America, so things are all back to front. You would never quite get around, and so they'd all just yell out, "Ride that curb!" and you'd be <laughs> right up on the big curb, and then a boom down the other side, and off you'd go again. And that that would happen on a daily basis. Ride that curb, <laughs> and then the, <laughs> and arrows. Um, okay, slightly longer story. Um, so, oh, what the what is that noise? Sounded like a the the ukrainian missiles were launching or something or some feedback maybe I didn't did you get that, that at your end no 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 oh, okay well okay so um arrows right at the flying field we've got a pilot in the in the imac model at, you know practicing for the shootout and the pilot's head keeps on falling off is is this little latex head that's kind of you know yeah. in the model anyway one of the guys lean he says, hey, Bogan, you give me that canopy in the in the model and I'll fix that pilot up tonight. His head won't fall off ever again. No problem. It's like, oh, great. We had other things to work on. There's the canopy. There's the pilot. Anyway, okay. next day, the, the, he came back. Um, the pilot came back. He already had a cowboy hat on. I think we found a cowboy hat for the pilot. But he had all these arrows. Like Len had made up these, you know, six-inch long, arrows like apache indian arrows yeah. and he basically gone and they all were sticking through the pilot's neck <laughs> to hold him in the airplane it's quite funny actually um but the other the other story about the arrows um what's quite funny when you're in when you're a tourist in america um you, you kind of get used to driving on the wrong side of the road but the moment you go into a supermarket you instantly revert back to what you know, you see. Oh, yeah, and we're yeah. always getting tooted at, yeah. and people way out the window, you know. And we always have this big, massive Team New Zealand sticker that we put right across the top of the windscreen on any rental vehicle that we get. And so when you're in a um, supermarket car park and you're driving the wrong way and, and, and people start, you know, where, where are you guys going? You just point to the big Team New Zealand sign and, oh, Oh, you're a tourist anyway. Well, we we went into this supermarket, bought a whole lot of beer. We're leaving and we're going out and we're kind of going out through the wrong way. And this guy pulls up next to us. He winds his window down. He says, hey, you guys, didn't you see the arrows? And one of our guys just quickly leans out the window and says, mate, we didn't even see the bloody Indians. <laughs> <laughs> what did he say, Martha? I don't know. He said something about Indians. Oh, what a crazy Kiwi. Anyway. <laughs> it's amazing how when you travel and you just don't mind saying things like that kind of thing, you know, because you're not going to see the person again. And so you just have fun oh, with it. It was, it was so funny. The guy, Graham Giles, he's a local modeler and he'd come to the shootout with us and you know, we're exiting the car park. Hey, did you not see the arrows? And just wham, quick as a flash, he says, we didn't even see the bloody Indians, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, I know you got a story about ice. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so it's funny. This is a multinational um, ice. You know, if, if you're traveling on a, on a team, team of guys and you want to drink cold beer, obviously, ice, ice can be a big problem. You know, you're, you're always seems to be looking for ice or pouring um, used ice out of the chili bin and thinking tomorrow we need, we're going to need some more ice. Anyway, so 
one of the guys that used to come to the shootout with us, uh, Alan Bellworthy. Uh, he's a he's a good bugger. He's an Air New Zealand employee, and uh, he'd come to the shootout just to help be on the team, get involved. Anyway, every morning we go into the practice field. We're in the van, and we've got to stop at the servo on the way. And you know, what's really awesome in America is you can buy beer at the service station. So you, you know, it's like, oh great, we don't have to go to the supermarket. We can just get it at the service station. Yep. Grab a box of Corona for later on, Alan. Yeah, I'll, I'll grab a, a bag of ice. Anyway, he goes, no, we're going to need more ice than that. I'm like going, surely one bag of ice will, will be enough. <laughs> he gets all serious and he says, Bogan, at four o'clock this afternoon, when you've finished practicing, would you like to drink super cold beer? Yes, Alan, I would. He mm. says, well, you do the flying and I'll look after the ice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sure. Okay. So he goes and grabs two more bags, right? So this is 21 pounds of ice, you know, three seven kg bags every day. <laughs> every day we're flying 21 pounds of ice. And sure enough, at the end of the day, when we're finished practicing, you know, or we're, we're actually or we're at the, at the shootout, the shootout usually finished about four o'clock in the afternoon. Everyone's standing around. Everyone wants to drink cold beer. Where do they go? They go straight to see the Kiwis because we've always got, got plenty of cold <laughs> Corona. Yeah. And sure enough, every day we'd go into the bloody 7-Eleven. Yeah. On the way to the actual competition now, you know, at 6 a.m. in the morning, we need three coffees, one Red Bull for Bogan, and 21 pounds of ice. <laughs> On the very last day, this is I'm remembering the um, this is the shootout that Alan Alan was at, and we nicknamed him the Ice Bitch. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I said, you know, when, when we had the argument, it wasn't an argument, it was more of just like a you know, an agreement, really. Yeah. And I said to Alan, okay, from here on in, you shall be known as the Ice Bitch, anyway. <laughs> On the um, so many guys at the end of flying at the shootout, they just instantly come straight to see the Kiwis uh, because they knew we were the guys that had all this cold beer, and we were starting to go through boxes and boxes. Like you know, we're thinking, man, there's a lot of guys. Like all of a sudden, we're we're, we're buying everybody's beer. <laughs> so we 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 found that you could buy these little mini Corona beers and they were called coronita oh, and instead of being 330 mil of beer it was only like a 200 mil beer it was like a little tiny yeah, little yeah. short one so what we cleverly did was we buy two boxes of that for the guests and two boxes of the normal size beers for the kiwis and we had two chili bins and you know oh yep come on and see the kiwis everyone would turn up and we put this chili bin out with all the little mini, you know, <laughs> everyone's just like, yeah, 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 free beer, no worries. And we're, yeah. we're sitting back having the regular size beers. Anyway, so the funny thing was uh, <laughs> the year I won the shootout, uh, we'd been flying all week. We'd been, you know, things were, things were going amazingly well. Uh, on Saturday night, we had it wrapped up. We, we couldn't get knocked out of first place. We knew that tomorrow, no matter what happened, we were, we, we'd won the shootout. Anyway, 
So we rock in to the same 7-Eleven that we've called in at for the last six days. And it's like 6.30 a.m. on Sunday morning. Yep. And we need three coffees, one Red Bull for Bogan and two boxes of Corona. Yep, I'll get the Corona. And I walk up to the big, massive fridge and, and I grab the handle and I'm going to pull the door open. The bloody door wouldn't open. The <laughs> fridge was locked. And I'm like, what the hell? We've won the shootout. We need this beer for the big party tonight, you know. And I'm like, hey, what's the story? You know, I need to get some beer. Sorry, sir. It's a Sunday. You can't buy beer till 9 a.m. I said, but we're not going to drink it till 2. <laughs> well, we don't know that. So anyway, that was a mad panic because... Uh, you know, we, we were like, oh, wow, we're driving off to the shootout. It's in the middle of the desert. There's nothing for miles around. So at lunchtime, Alan, the ice bitch, and another guy, Graham. Yeah, Graham, I'm pretty sure he was there. So they both had to go and drive, you know, half an hour off back to town to buy, you know, five boxes of Corona. So, <laughs> see, lucky you've got all these other people, all these helpers that come along. I tell you, it, it it really was good. We have had some bloody great helpers that would um, that would come along, and you need those helpers because when you're leaving Air New Zealand Auckland Airport, you know you've got two fuselage boxes and two wing boxes. That's people's luggage, you know. Yeah, yeah you want to come to the shootout? Great, bring one suitcase, and you're taking a wing box. Yeah. <laughs> How about was the ice melting really quickly? The beer was disappearing really quickly. Oh. There was another um there was another ice story as well. I've got it on my list here and it's called Ice Charades. Oh, no. And this was um in France. This is ah oh, this was hilarious. We went to to France for a world championships. This is F3A. So we're flying small little 2 meter airplanes. And um the the French organizers have put all the colonials in the same hotel they got the Kiwis, they got the Aussies, they got the South Africans. I think maybe Chile were there as well. Anyway, the hotel we were staying at was like Faulty Towers. It was, it was really <laughs> funny. Anyway, this is 2005 in France. So me and Baldrick, we, um, we get to France. And first thing, you know, we've driven from Paris down to where we're staying. It was about a five-hour drive to get down there. We're like, right, we need some supplies. Okay, here's a supermarket. Oh, great, they've got beer. Oh, wow, this is awesome. They got this um, They got this really good German beer. So we bought a slab of that. But it wasn't cold. They didn't have a um, – there was no fridge. None of the beer was cold. It was like, well, this is kind of weird. Anyway, so we're like, oh, well, we'll find some ice. Yeah, big problem. <laughs> big problem. So we, we rock up to the where the actual world champs are happening and we meet the organizers of the world champs and, you know, we've ordered some fuel and here's your fuel. And, you know, we, we, we've got the directions to the hotel. And I said to one of the organizers, I said, yeah, we've, um, we've got a bit of a problem. I said, oh, what is problem? He said. <laughs> I said, well, the problem is we've um, we've got all this beer and we don't know where we can buy any ice to make it cold. And he said, oh, adversaire, a French people are not a bigger consumer of ice. <laughs> and I said, well, mate, 
Kiwis are big consumers of cold beer. <laughs> so, and he said, okay, you can try your hotel. They will have some ice for you. And I'm like, okay, great. So we, we rock up back to the hotel. We've got model boxes. We're lifting the lid on these model boxes. And somehow we found a chili bin. I don't know. Maybe we bought it at the, at the supermarket, this chili bin. I think we did buy the chili bin at the supermarket. And so we had the chili bin. We had the beer, but no ice. Anyway, so uh, Manuel from the hotel, <laughs> from the hotel, he comes, he comes running out, and I said, oh, I said to him, "Hey, Manuel, we need some, uh, we need some ice for this beer," and and he just looked at me with a blank look on his face. He did, he didn't understand a word of English, and uh, so I, I, now it's time for charades. So you know, I, I point at the beer. And then I pretend I'm like really cold, you know, and eventually he, he gets the message. He, I've got a glass in my hand. He comes running. He, he disappears for five minutes. He comes back and he's got a cup with three ice cubes oh, no. in the cup, right? And so I just grab the cup off him and I just tip it in the chili bin and then just look at him. And I'm like, huh, come on, more, more. <laughs> so he, he goes back. And he comes back, and now he's got two cups full of ice. And I just grab them off him, and I tip them in the chili bin, and then I pick up the chili bin, <laughs> and I put my arm around his shoulder and just march him <laughs> off to wherever he's going, right? And, 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 and then the holy grail of ice. They've got this massive ice-making machine in the kitchen. <laughs> and I just... I just put the chili bin down and I pull the big handle and I'm just, oh, and he's like, no, 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 no. And I'm just pouring all the beer and I'm like, wee, 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 wee. And off I go. Anyway, so now we've got the chili bin, we've got the ice, we've got the beer. Now, remember, the Aussies and the South Africans, they're all staying at the exact same hotel and they've all discovered the same problem. They've been to the supermarket. They got the warm beer. They bought the chili bin. They can't find any ice. Oh, where did you Kiwis get the ice? Oh, from the servo. Just just down there, yeah. down by the supermarket, down by the servo. These guys, it took them all week to figure out where <laughs> we were getting the ice. Oh, oh, <laughs> That's uh, a yeah. good one. That's a good one. I'll tell you what, there's a recurring theme in, in most of your stories, and that is beer. Having a good time. Well, that and beer. <laughs> yep we we do we do like to um, we do like to drink a bit of beer. Well, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is true. Now, okay, let's finish up with another story, right? I've got here a note: Japan jungle. Oh my god! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Right. So. Um, I've been to Japan a few times. Uh, how many times? I think three, three times or two, two or three times. The 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 time I went when they were paying for me to be there, that was the best time because it's very expensive to be in Japan. Mm. The first time I, I was paying, second time I went was a different story. So I got invited to Japan to this. Uh, they called it the air pageant. And it was like a freestyle competition um, with F3A size two meter by two meter airplanes, and um, all the guns were there: KK, Christoph, Wolfgang, Matt, 
who I told lots of jokes to every night as we were drinking beer and he had tears rolling out of his eyes. <laughs> uh, Chip, Chip Hyde was there. Um, Sean McMurtry, uh, a couple of um, probably Akiba um, from Japan and anyway, and me as well. Anyway, so we're flying this little tiny two meter airplane in Japan. The tricky thing was it was only like three weeks after the TOC. We, we, we built some models. I took a laser, took a two meter laser, had like a 140 uh, RX or FI that had a fuel injected motor. Anyway, we didn't have anywhere near enough time to prepare for this bloody Japanese thing, but we went. The weather was absolutely diabolical when we were there. It was just raining the whole time. So we hardly did any flying at all standing around in the rain there was a lot of karaoke that was happening yeah. we, we had they'd, they'd take us all out for karaoke every night and and the guy that was running the event um, he was the editor of this um, Japanese uh, modeling magazine and it was called radio control technique and it would come out every month and it was about two inches thick oh. it was like a phone book and it was really? just like of stories and adverts all in in japan you know era modeling in japan was massive back then anyway so we're competing in this bloody in this um f3a you know freestyle event i've taken two lasers with me um one of them was a brand new laser and i think we'd put um like split flaps on the ailerons so really? we had we had two servos in each wing. So we had outboard ailerons and inboard ailerons. So we could make the we you know forty five degrees of throw. We had tons of aileron, but then we could do crow breaking with this thing. Uh -huh. That was the theory. We we ran out of time, um, and the model was tail heavy. Um, anyway, I remember <laughs> one of the funny things was the spare model that we took was also a two meter laser and it had like a 108 or not a 108 a 140 in it. it was a model that we'd had flying for years and years we knew that it was 10 mil over the two meter yeah. maximum and we thought oh we'll worry about that you know when when it happens if, if we have to use that model maybe they'll measure it anyway well it was pissing down with rain we're standing around in a hotel there's nothing else to do except to process all of these models you know, so Wolfgang, mate, he's got his two pattern ships there, and Kike's got his one, and, and Chip was flying a new YS that had just come out. Anyway, there's a lot of standing around, a lot of laughing and joking, because everybody knew that this model of mine was 10 mil over the two-meter wingspan. And the Japanese guys that are doing the processing, they must have known as well. Yeah. <laughs> they had this big, long stick that had these two sort of Thing, prongs that come out you know that's two meters and anyway you know they hold it over the wing and i, I kind of lean the fusel out lean the wing over on like a big angle you know <laughs> anyway one of the guys that was there with us hooli dooley that's brian dooley he lives in queensland now he's a kiwi he had a hacksaw blade in his top pocket checking <laughs> oh, no. out the whole time a hacksaw blade so anyway there's lots of laughing and joking and i'm like yep so give me the blade, hooly dooly, and and I and I cut the ten mil wingtip off the model and just put that in my top pocket. Yeah. And we 
to New Zealand, I'll stick that back on. <laughs> anyway, so on the on, I think the we only flew for one day when the rain stopped. Um, I'm I'm flying the backup model, and I'm halfway through a freestyle, four minute freestyle, and this thing just shuts down, and it's, it's at full bore, going up on a forty five degree angle. With full aileron and it's just going roll, 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 roll. It had massive ailerons and this thing's wow, 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 and just gone, just disappeared into Japanese jungle. Right? <laughs> <laughs> where the flying field was was this floodplain, and and literally out in front of us is just Japanese jungle, and we're like, okay, well we, we better go and find the plane. So we we start. You know, this is like Indiana Jones. You, you need yeah. like a machete like carving your way through. You know, where is this plane? And and um, a, a guy from the crowd, like, because there was a pretty decent crowd of people that were watching, all licking ice creams. And this one particular guy, he'd finish his ice cream, and he, he came running down off the stop bank. He was a little bit higher up when he saw it, when it went in, and he knew exactly where it was. So he comes running down and, He's trying to tell us, and we don't understand a word, but of course he's doing charades. He's pointing ice this way over here, you know. So we <laughs> we find this thing, and there's this little gravel road that goes straight through the center of that Japanese jungle, and this thing hit that gravel road head first, oh. head first, and and just absolutely destroyed itself. But the crazy part was. As we're walking out to find it, because it's a floodplain, you'd be like, oh, oh, I think I see it. I think I see it over there. Oh, no, that's a fridge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that it over there? Oh, no, that's some guy's microwave because, you know, it's all just shit that floated down. Floated down. So, so, yeah, so we went to Japan. Um, it wasn't really very successful at all. And we came home with that. Uh, well, we didn't even. That model was absolutely destroyed. The other airplane that we took over there, we we decked it out in JR um, graphics, and we'd actually got um, Japanese. We we'd got the font yeah. for Japanese writing, and um, I gave it to the guys from JR. I went, here you go, hang this up in the JR factory. Put it in your smoko room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's where it went. Cool. Uh, so the uh what year was that you went to japan it'd be 2004 i think 2003 2004 something like that yeah there was a lot of there was a lot of prize money at that um oh, really that yeah the guy the guy that was running it he had this briefcase <laughs> and he, everywhere he went he carried this briefcase and it had all the prize money in it and it was all cash oh really yeah we we um i mean we came like ninth or tenth um just like completely crashed out and we had no idea how much prize money we'd actually got until we got back to auckland airport and got it converted back to new zealand dollars yeah what was it, it was 10 grand 10 grand for 10th for last for yeah last. it was 10 grand <laughs> Man, i, I want to do that i can come yeah. last i think danny larue he won it i think he got like 40 or 50 grand you know one of the maneuvers we had to do in the freestyle was a hovering square. 
So you had to like hover in, you know, it had yeah, to be yeah. like five meters and it had to hover across this way and then back down and then it had to hover across that way and then go back up again. And Sean McMurtry, he got a bonus cash payment for the best hovering square. Yeah. He probably got he probably got 10 grand for that. I mean, <laughs> nobody knew. <laughs> Gone of those days. I can't see yep. that ever happening again. No, nah, never happened. Well, what well, this air pageant thing that they did in Japan, so they'd have like a two-day um, actual model air show for the public. Yeah. And the, the actual freestyle competition kind of happened on Friday, and then they would do like one round at lunchtime in the middle of the air show, and then the finals at lunchtime on Sunday in the middle of the air show. So the public that have turned up to watch it they're going to see two days of model airplane flying plus, you know, this freestyle thing happening at lunchtime. Um, back then, modeling in Japan was massive, but I think soon after that, they had one of those like air show, air pageant type things. And the model, um, one of the guys like lost it and went in behind the pits and nearly crashed into the crowd. Oh. And and then That's they went, oh, wow, you know, this is a huge health and safety thing. We can't have that possibly happening. And then um, it all went tits up. Yeah. No, that's what happens. Well, um, we'll leave the stories there because uh, we're going for a while and we want to save some because you are going to come back at some point in time, Fraser. But before I bid you farewell, I wrote this question today. I was thinking about what we're going to have a chat about. And you've been a long time aero modeler. You've travelled around to lots of different events and competition, and still very active in New Zealand, etc. What is your favourite part of the hobby? Like, what do you enjoy most about it? Okay, so when I was younger, my favourite part of the hobby was competing and winning. But then. As I've become an old bugger, I've realized that actually I enjoy people socializing, having a good time, and flying almost gets in the way of that, you know? So, um, I mean, hey, look, I'm still really competitive and I love to get out there and compete. But as you get older in life, you realize that actually it's more about the people and having a good time and telling stories and oh, I met this guy and you know and so that's 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 what I've that's what I've learned over the years. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you, hundred percent. You know, I, I mentioned the Wang Jets event. The group of us, you know, the, the people that were there, we're still talking about that event, and it was more what happened on the Saturday night than who flew what aeroplane during the day, because a lot of the stories that the memories were made around the flying not the actual flying you know what i mean oh yeah i mean I, I i know exactly what you're talking about like all of these trips that i've been to i couldn't tell you who flew what plane i mean if i if i seriously thought about it i probably could figure out who flew what plane yeah yeah but i can tell you about every barbecue and every party and every band in a hangar that i've ever been to yeah yeah well so, someone said to me today when i said i was shooting a video about uh, my, 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 my jet crash and someone said to me, how many people saw it crash? Like, oh, he must look like a fool. I said, no one was looking at it. Everyone was talking to each other. 
and it was down the far end. We were at Wangaratta Airport, so the pits are miles away, and people were just uh, doing their own thing. Nobody was staring there. And I've, ne- I've never been to a flying field and watched an entire flight from start to finish. You, you, it's almost like, oh, yeah, so-and-so's flying now. Oh, that looks all right, and you're moving on. And so, like, nobody saw the crash. I went and put it on video. You know, somebody videoed it. But uh, besides that, they saw the, 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 the aftermath, but they didn't see the actual crash. I was like, yeah, I don't care. Nobody. <laughs> not fast. Right? No. And by, by the Saturday night, everybody had forgotten everything and we were off uh, drinking mini beers. Yep, as you do. Well, Fraser, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you once again. And um, we are going to have you back on the Flat Out RC podcast. And uh, it, it's been good celebrating the 100th episode of the Flat Out RC podcast with you. So thank you once again. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Well, thank you, and and congratulations. I mean, a hundred episodes. This is a massive job that you've undertaken, and uh, yeah, I think it's awesome. So keep up the good work, and we'll see you and talk to you maybe soon. About to leave, already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. And it's not just any episode, it's the 100th episode. Another pat on the back for myself. I'm pretty proud of getting to 100. Thanks to Fraser for joining me once again. He'll be back. We'll give it a break. Let you recover from Fraser. But uh, he will be back because we've still got many tales to tell. And I love having a chat with, with Fraser over there in New Zealand. Uh, he has said that if I'm over there, I should catch up with him, and I definitely will. And I said I may be there for work uh, outside chance in the next uh, six months or so, but we'll wait and see. But, uh, yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening uh, to the podcast. Once again, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. If you're new to this podcast and you've just joined us at the 100th episode mark, press that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to tell your friends at the flying field that you enjoy listening to the flat out rc podcast so we can spread the love the more people that listen to it the more we can motivate people to get on their journey and get all excited about model airplanes it's not about making money because i'm making none but if you want to give me donations send it through only joking anyway uh big thank you to everyone for listening uh don't forget youtube channel go and have a look at my video of my air crash investigation i made a fool of myself i'll leave it at that Flat Out RC YouTube channel, go and take a look and subscribe whilst you're there. Anyway, we'll be back next week with more.